Good morning, everyone. Uh, yes, if you don't know me, my, my name is Eddie, um, and I'm on staff team here, and uh, it's my pleasure to be able to go through um, some of my favourite verses in, in, the whole of, in the whole of Scripture. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John 17, 1 to 5. We also had that reading, of course, uh, from John 20 with Mary and Jesus, and I think uh, I chose that because it kind of expresses the whole Easter experience, doesn't it? Her confusion and her sorrow uh, turns to joy. Uh, imagine confusing the, the Lord of glory with a gardener. But that, that, that just shows how incredible uh, a thing it was. So I'm going to pray now that God is with us as we engage with his word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, that grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. In our weakness and in our doubts, uh, and in our distractions, we ask that you would be with us, that you would point us to the sure hope that we can have in his resurrection. Help us to see his glory now, that we might be transformed in our affections and in our actions as your children. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, the moment you have been waiting for, uh, I'm not talking about my sermon, uh, but uh, I'm talking about the introduction to my sermon, which is what it is labelled. Uh, we're thinking about the moments that the, we have been waiting for. In a couple of weeks, uh, there's going to be a big moment, uh, the coronation of King Charles III. Hundreds of millions of eyes are going to be on him. Now, I think by kind of all legal definitions, he is already the king, uh, but there is something about the coronation that is so critical, isn't it, from a symbolic perspective. Uh, you can imagine it would be very, very weird if Charles decided to just skip that event. It would almost undermine his kingship. That moment matters. And indeed, we can think perhaps of many moments uh, that matter. Some folks wait to seize their moment. I've been reading a book uh, on the... Um, the Russian Revolution and the war that followed uh, in the early 20th century. And the Bolsheviks, the communists, led by Lenin, uh, it seemed like they were unlikely to get anything done, but through a series of unlikely events, they were able to, to triumph and seize uh, the revolution uh, to really terrible consequences uh, for, for other human beings. There are other moments where we see that someone has a moment to win glory, uh, perhaps you remember seeing Kathy Freeman run uh, the 400 metres at the 2000 Olympics. And what an incredible moment that was, both for her and, and I guess for the symbolism um, of all that she stood for as an Indigenous Australian. There are moments that perhaps we are waiting for, eagerly, or perhaps with dread. And on Easter Sunday, we set our eyes on a moment, don't we? We move our eyes from the cross of Christ to the empty tomb, from his death to his resurrection. And this is the most momentous moment of all. But is this the moment that you have been waiting for? Um, why is this moment so important? And if you were... At the service on Friday, uh, David Cook, the preacher, made a great point about so often we can have a tame version of Christianity where we just kind of come and we hear the story and we think, oh, yes, that's very nice, very encouraging. But these are the events of history and these are the events that have changed the world. And so 
Don't let this moment pass you by. Uh, come to see what Jesus makes of his moment. Because what we see is kind of the moment before the moment. A prayer of Jesus. Uh, a farewell prayer that he gives of all the significance of what's going to take place. Jesus speaks of his hour, doesn't he? His moment. The hour has come. If you know John well, you know the hour is key to John. You're kind of waiting for the hour to come, which is the moment of Jesus's uh, exaltation. And the whole time it's kind of like, well, the moment is not yet. You know, the hour is not yet. And you kind of like a child in the back of the car. Okay, yet? Is it now? Is it now? Well, now it's here. And it's Christ who is here to, to accomplish the redemption of humanity. And Easter at its heart, it's a moment between God and people, isn't it? Between the creation and its creator. And it's one that we do not want to miss. And so if you've got your outline there, we're going to look at basically two themes. The first theme of glory and of Jesus' glory. And the second theme of life. The life that he gives. Verse 1 says, The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. This is the first thing that Jesus prays in recognizing his hour has come. To be glorified, uh, the word is to be, to be clothed in splendor, to have your reputation enhanced, to be celebrated and lifted up. So Jesus is, is asking God, if God would exalt him, would crown him with the title he deserves. And this is far more than just kind of the symbolism uh, like that of King Charles, uh, who didn't really have to do much to be king. You know, He was born and then he just has to live long enough. Uh, to get the crown on his head. But Jesus, to, for his crown, for his glory, it comes through a mission, doesn't it? A task that he has been sent to do. And it is not a nice task. It is a, a terrible task, a horrifying task. It seems so strange that he would say, glorify me, given what we know is about to happen. He didn't say, pity me, Father. He didn't say, sustain me. He says, glorify me. You'd think with glory, you'd expect a crown or a medal or a certificate. But the glory that comes in the cross is one of shame and humiliation. It's contrary to all our expectations of what glory entails. And so we might ask, is Jesus asking here the glory? Is he asking and talking about the, the resurrection or, or the cross? Well, it's both, isn't it? It's a unified event. It's two sides of the same coin. The cross is Christ's glory in his humiliation because it is his powerful saving love, his atonement to deal with our sin. But that cursed tree bears fruit, doesn't it? The resurrection is the inevitable outcome of the cross. It is the exaltation that Jesus deserves for his faithfulness. And so we can't miss either the cross or the resurrection. If you miss either, then we lose the hope of forgiveness, the promise of eternal life. We lose those things. There are some who see the resurrection um, as too fantastical, too mystical to have occurred. But if you take away the resurrection, Christianity really has nothing left. Um, the whole thing buckles. It's important to see, though, that Jesus doesn't ask for his glory for himself, does he? 
I mean, we are, tend to be glory hunters. Uh, we might not think of ourselves that way, but I know from the moment, you know, I grew up, I was wanting my parents to say to me, you know, well done. Um, so often we focus on the approval and praise of other humans because who doesn't want credit, right? We want credit where credit is due. But Jesus understands what glory is really about. That his greatest glory comes in sharing his glory. It's not, Father, glorify me so I would just look great and everyone can see my achievements. I mean, he is great. He has done wonderful things. But it's glorify me so that people would see and glorify you. When a child does well, we might speak of them being a credit to their parents. But how can Jesus add? How can you add to the, the Father's eternal, perfect glory? Well, I think what it is, is, is it reveals God's glory to the world. It becomes apparent to humanity. What Jesus does is he, he magnifies the thing that really is glorious. So we might see it clearly. Jesus has been tasked. His whole task is, is to reveal God to the world, to reveal his goodness and righteousness and perfect love. And he's done that in his work, hasn't he? Um, he's done the work of the Father and he has magnified God's goodness. And what is the way in which that most happens? Well, we see God's glory in the world around us, don't we? But yet I think we see it most clearly and pointedly at the cross. And at the resurrection, we see God for who he is. So we don't have to imagine God uh, as, a, as a being of our own creation. You know, I like to think about God as a big, you know, benevolent spirit or an old man or... No, 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 we have been given a clear and real picture of the God who is and who has worked in history. You know, the resurrection of Christ is almost like a shot across the bow of the world. It's God saying, I'm here, come and see, this is what I'm like. But just as his glory is given to the Father, his authority is also used for others, isn't it? Verse 2, Jesus says, you've given me authority to give eternal life for those you've chosen. His authority is not for himself, but to, to give according to the Father's will. Jesus has glory and his glorification is the power over life and death. And, and at times we can wonder, I think we, we know this and we see this, but we wonder, can Jesus do what, he, what is promised? Can he fulfill it? Uh, I know when my, my children uh, are done uh, playing in a room, um, I come in and I observe the fallout. And I, thought, I can only think... How can this mess possibly be fixed? I'm sure you guys aren't like that. But that is, that is how sometimes how I feel. And at times the world can seem just like an unfixable mess. Um, you know, armed conflicts, uh, human suffering, political conflict and turmoil. And that's not even before we, we get to ourselves and the mess we make of our lives. We think, how can this be overcome? But notice that Jesus speaks with absolute... Uh, certainty before he's even, I guess, accomplished the thing that he's talking about. He can give eternal life. Before, you know, he's saying that, that that's going to happen even before he's gone to the cross. 
Likewise, he's spoken of finishing the work of God as if the future reality of salvation is already present in that moment. Basically, it's to say it will be done. It will be done. Uh, And what a comfort it is that Jesus prays, that Jesus prays to the Father, because that means it's certain. God will answer his son. And that's what the resurrection is, isn't it? It's God's yes to Jesus. Yes, he is the Lord. Yes, he is the Savior. Yes, he can give us life. And then we're going to talk about life now. Um, And then we come to, I think, my favorite verse in the Bible. I love the whole Bible, but... I think this is my favorite verse. Verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why is that my favorite verse? I mean, it gets to the heart of everything, I think. The life that Jesus gives. I was uh, uh, on a, a holiday a couple of years ago with some friends, and we were just enjoying the moment, enjoying the time. And someone made the comment, um, Kind of like, uh, it was like they said, like, this, you know, this, is, this is living, isn't it? And it got me thinking, like, what, is, what does it mean to, to live, to have life? Because we can speak of living in different ways, can't we? We can think of life as just kind of survival, getting through, staying alive. You can have food and water and shelter. You know, that's all a human being in some sense needs to, to function. And yet we need more than that, don't we? Um, a couple of interactions with some homeless folks this week has, has reminded me of that. The importance of, of loving relationships, of freedom, of purpose, of safety. You don't just want to scrape through life. There's something more that we need. But then we can think of life as comfort, can't we? Living the life, the good life. We measure our lives in the terms of the quality of the things we have, uh, you know, our relationships, uh, our health. Or how we feel about ourselves. And indeed, sometimes when we think about everlasting life, we can really just kind of be the, the good life, the comfortable life, but just kind of turned up to infinity. But this passage says that eternal life is far more than that. Uh, in many ways, it blows up the kind of the trite ways we have of thinking about eternal life. And compared to what Jesus offers, everything else is a low standard of living. I mean, what is the higher life that Jesus offers to us? Uh, it, because it, is, it does involve everlasting life, right? Living forever. But it's not so much about the quantity as it is the quality. It's not about having the life of your dreams. It's about knowing God. Uh, and it all comes down to that. This is eternal life that they know the one true God and the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. When we think about well, at least when I think about the, the highest peaks of human life, my guess is that they are found generally in relationships, right? Those are the most satisfying moments we have with our parents or with our, our spouse or our, our closest friends or our children. Human relationships are essential. They mean so much to us. And that is why it hurts so much when they fall apart. You can't do without relationships. Uh, Indeed, some of the biggest stresses, when people list the biggest stresses on, on humans, the top ones are always relational. You know, the death of a loved one, um, conflict or divorce or hostility, those are the things that hurt us. And I think that is important because I think that points us to our greatest need. If the highest point in life is found in a relationship, then what relationship could be more important than the one with our, our maker, Right? 
And that's the, that, that's the tragedy of sin, the fracture, the greatest loss that we have is that we lose our relationship with God. Um, and we go for other false idols or, or deities, you know, whether they, they're named or whether they're just functional like money. And so if that's the greatest loss, then nothing could be more glorious than having that relationship restored, than having sins forgiven and, and being reconciled. Psalm 16 says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Eternal life is found in knowing God. It's found in fellowship with him. Knowing him and being known by him. Uh, it's more than just knowing a list of things about God. Though you do have to know things about God in order to come to know him. But it's relationship. And you can know God because Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. Jesus not only gives the glorious life, but that glorious life is found in him. And when we have you know, a good relationship with another person, there's something we gain from that, isn't there? Not selfishly, but we get to share in the kind of the glorious um, benefits of that relationship. And when we know God, we get to share in the glorious life of knowing him. The Bible speaks of this throughout the New Testament, that we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're adopted and led on a path to glory if we know God. The highest standard of living is found in Jesus, no matter what else is going on around us. That is the most glorious and precious life that you can have. And the remarkable thing, I think, is that that means that eternal life can actually begin now for you. I don't know if you thought about it that way. It can begin now because it's in knowing God. And if you know God and you trust in Jesus, eternal life, in some sense, is your present reality. It doesn't mean you're not going to die um, unless the Lord Jesus returns. But ultimately, you know him and he knows you and he will raise you up as Jesus has been raised. And finally, I guess we come to the glory that Jesus deserves, which is really to say, What's the outcome of all this? What's the fruit of all this? Jesus, the one who is truly God and truly man, all he does is not for himself. It's so that the Father might be glorified. It's so that we might be saved. And that's why he's worthy, isn't it? Uh, it's often said that actions have consequences, you know, good or bad. Well, as a minister friend put it to me, resurrections have consequences. The resurrection has consequences and what remarkable consequences uh, it is the breaking in of heaven and of eternity into this world in some sense it is God giving notice that we now live in the last days that life is on offer and it's something you do not want to miss out on do not miss the moment I can think of a number of moments I've missed um, one uh, was a concert that I had tickets to I was going to go to it my friends were going to go, we were excited. And for some reason on the day, for no good reason, I thought, oh, I don't want to go to that. I gave my ticket away. And then um, I really regretted it. And my friends still talk about it to this day. And it's still, <laughs> but, but if, if that small thing, you know, that's a small, very small and insignificant thing to miss. But Jesus offers eternal life. And you do not want to miss that. Many people perhaps do not, Realize that that is what he offers and that's why we need to share that news with them. But please consider whether you have, I guess, made the most of that moment. Don't let it pass you by.
see the life that is found in knowing Christ. And indeed, if you already know that, then what a wonderful difference that that makes. Our life has been dramatically changed by this moment. I mean, far more than the coronation of King Charles is probably going to change my life. The resurrection of Jesus, you know, though we weren't there for it, that's changed everything. That's changed everything for us. You can now see your whole existence with resurrection shaded glasses. Jesus is at the right hand of God and he is leading us to glory. And so we should seek to glorify him. Right? He's worthy of glory, so we seek to glorify him. And what does that, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't just mean you know, showing up and giving him praise. It does involve that, but it also involves us giving ourselves to him, uh, letting us we glorify him through how we respond to him and act in light of what he's done. And so I, I want to leave that with you. Um, whether you this moment has passed you by or whether... You hold to it, you cling to it, you know the resurrection of Christ and you see the difference that it makes. It's revealed God's glory, his divine love. It gives us the promise of reconciliation, the most important thing. And so I'm going to pray now that as we see the risen Christ, we would see uh, that it should change, it does change everything, but it should also change everything for us. And I'm going to pray in light of that, so please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have glorified yourself time and time again. And we thank you that your greatest glory is seen in what Jesus has done. Father, you have loved us so much to send your son to us. That he would give himself for us to bring us back to you. So that we, like Mary in that passage, can say, you are my God. Heavenly Father, we pray that the familiarity of Easter would not pass us by, but that we would see the the wonderful hope and reside in the wonderful hope that you have given in Jesus, that we would know the the life that he offers by knowing him and that we would seek to, to come to terms with that life more and grow in our knowledge of him. And please help us to take this news so that others might see the wondrous glory of his son, and so that you, the Father, might be glorified. We pray all this in his name. Amen.